3: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. I am John Schmelt, joined by the one and only Lance Meadow, the phone number for you. And we'll screen your calls in a little bit, not right away. We don't want to have you on hold too long at 201-939-4513. Giants getting ready to take on the Baltimore Ravens from MetLife Stadium at 1 o'clock on Sunday. It's on a CBS broadcast this week, which is odd, but remember, it's a AFC team at an NFC stadium, which is generally a CBS broadcast. You'll have Ian Eagle and Charles Davis on the call, one of the best uh, tandems in the league, so everyone can enjoy that that are not attending the game. If you are going to the game, make sure you check us out on the pregame show at MetLife Central starting at 1130
2: on Sunday morning. Lance Meadow, how are you, sir? Doing well. Looking forward to this game. AFC North first place team against a thriving Giants team should be a good matchup, especially with both teams really starting to click. Baltimore, I think the last two games, their defense has been slightly better than what we saw in the first three games. And clearly we know what the Giants have been all about coming off that impressive rally against the Packers.
3: Yeah, no question about it, Lance. And I think, you know, when when you take a look at this, remember, this is the 17th game on the schedule, right? You know, the Giants and the Ravens, believe it or not, the Ravens finished in last place in the AFC North last year. You don't think of the Ravens as a last place team, but they did. Hammered by injuries. Yeah. On the defensive side. And I think, believe that was still by, like, the, by the, Skin of their chinny-chin-chin the last week of the year, I think they were right in the mix there, them and the Steelers, right, for who might finish in last place, if I recall correctly. I believe so.
2: Yeah, they were still very much in the mix. They were sort of bunched together after Cincinnati.
3: Yeah, so this, this this is the additional game where the NFC East lined up with the AFC North in terms of playing the team that finished in the same spot. And look, it's a really tough game, and you can argue that this could be the toughest game of the year so far. You could argue it was the Packers last week. You know, that was a neutral site slash road game. This is a home game, so maybe this makes it a little bit easier. Uh, You look at the spread in Vegas. You know, the Packers are fair by 8.5 last week. It's only 5.5 this week. So, you know... Look at it however you want. It's going to be a really tough matchup, Lance. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the Ravens offense and Lamar Jackson. I got great insight for the folks that want to go back and listen to yesterday's show. Jonathan Casillas is a linebacker. You know, that's really the position that gets put in the biggest bind by a guy like Lamar Jackson. He gave us really good insight into how you defend a guy like that. So I want to start today, Lance, with the Ravens defense. And I think I said this briefly on yesterday's show, and John and I kind of touched on it briefly, but... When I watch the Ravens on defense, they're still trying to figure out who they are a little bit. You know, in the first three games, they get lit up by the Dolphins. The Patriots, who have had trouble scoring all year, put up 450 or so yards of offense on them, and they marched the ball up and down the field. But then the last two weeks, good job against Josh Allen. Good job against Joe Burrow. Oh, but wait a second. The Bengals' run game has been terrible all year. Last week they go for over 100 yards against Baltimore's run defense, and the week before that the Bills go over for 100 yards against the Baltimore run defense. So, I feel like the Ravens under their new defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, who replaced Wink Martindale, they're they're doing a bunch of different types of coverages. They're not doing one coverage more than 25 percent of the time. Single high, two eye man zone, blitz, no blitz coverage. You know they're doing a million different things. It seems to me watching them. They're still trying to figure out exactly what they are on that side of the ball, and I'm really not sure what they're going to look like and what they're going to do when they show up on Sunday afternoon.
2: Well, they did really good, I thought, against the pass against the Bills and the Bengals. Yeah. You had Josh Allen and Burrow both through in the two teens, two thirteen, two seventeen range. And remember, the numbers are a bit skewed. Tua Tungavailoa and the Dolphins had a feast in the fourth quarter of that game. Prior to that, they really handled the Dolphins fine, and then all of a sudden Miami had one big explosive play after another. So sometimes the numbers don't necessarily tell the entire story, if you have one bad quarter, and I think that absolutely impacted the Ravens. The other thing that's kind of bizarre, John, is the fact that despite the passing game numbers, which they're dead last in, in passing yardage per game, they're number one in takeaways. So they've 11. sort of made up for where they've given up some of the big passing plays. Then all of a sudden, they get the change in field position thanks to the takeaways. And out of those 11, remember, eight are interceptions. Yeah. The other thing that I think is interesting about the Raymonds, normally when it comes to sacks and takeaways, you hear the cliche, they come in bunches two to three games, you get a lot, then all of a sudden you go silent for two to three games. They've been consistent since the start of the season. They had two against the Jets, two against the Dolphins, four against the Patriots, two against the Bills, one against the Bengals. They've had, though, an interception in every single game. Once again, though, the Giants have not been a pass-happy team. So do the Giants try to just dictate the game on the ground like they normally have, or do they try to take advantage of where there may have been some issues with Baltimore? Because the old... Story is, the more times you put the ball in the air, the more times you're going to give these Ravens defensive backs right an opportunity to make plays on the ball. If you don't, if you have a low volume of pass attempts, then how can Baltimore be as opportunistic as it was? So a lot of this, to me, is riding on the Giants. Do you continue what you're doing on the ground, or do you say, okay, hey, they've been battle-tested in the back area of their defense. They just lost Marcus Williams. their starting safety due to a wrist injury. Do you try to see whether or not they have their affairs in order. I, I think maybe more of this is actually on the Giants than perhaps what the Ravens on the back end do.
3: No, Lance, I'm with you. And look, I would be, I'll use the word, shocked if the Giants decide to open it up and try to throw well, it. Well, so it would I. Times. Yeah. I, just, I just don't see it. Uh, I know that you know you talk about the Ravens 32nd in the league, 290 yards passing yards a game, but I agree with you. I think that's skewed. They played a lot better the last couple of weeks against two very good quarterbacks. Now, I know the Bills game was a, was not a great weather game, I don't think in, in that contest, but still their run defense yards per game, they're ranked 12th, 108 yards per game, right? But if you dig into it a little bit, 4.95 yards per rush play, that's 26th in the league. So, if other teams ran it more frequently, would those total yards per game be more? So, I would expect more of the same from the Giants here. You know, Patrick Queen is a guy who I think is probably better against the run than he is against the pass. He's really fast, a little undersized. He has missed a tackle or two. You know, I just think the Giants have a way they're going about winning. It's working. I would be surprised if they went away from it. I would expect another full diet of Saquon Barkley. And... Let the chips fall where they may, because I would be very leery, especially with this Giants wide receiver core the way it is, Lance, still banged up, still trying to figure out where they are, guys coming back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, throwing against Marcus Peters. I mean, other than maybe Trayvon Diggs, I would probably say Peters has even a longer history of it than Diggs does. The best ball hawking cornerback in the league right now in the National Football League and then Marlon Humphreys is just an excellent player. They have a veteran safety in Chuck Clark. I think Marcus Williams, their other starting safety, is a big loss. He's not going to play in this game. He's on IR. But then you have Kyle Hamilton, a guy that we talked about ad nausea with the draft last year, who's who's a really good rookie. So, you know, this is a secondary. You talk about the eight interceptions. Yes, every interception has a bit of luck to it where quarterbacks have to make a bad throw, bad decision, a ball gets tipped at the line, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But these are good veteran, experienced players in the back half that have done this for a long time. So I think the Giants are going to be pretty cautious about putting the ball in danger, throwing it into that defensive backfield.
2: And also, that's a product of, I think, why Daniel Jones has done a good job protecting the ball so far this season. He hasn't had a lot of those high-volume throw games. Why would you want to now do that against a Ravens secondary that clearly is foaming at the mouth every time they get out on the field to make plays? And they've done it consistently. You brought up Peters and Humphrey. You know, here's the other thing about the interceptions. Sometimes you have a team where two guys account for everything. Baltimore, it's spread across the board with respect to their interceptions. Peters has won. Humphrey has two. Then you look at some of their linebackers have been involved in getting some tips. Patrick Queen's got an interception. He had one against Cincinnati. Josh Bynes has another one. So that's more of a reason why you want to be careful with taking chances down the field, especially if you're not confident in those wide receivers winning the battles. And the Ravens' secondary players, they're also very good. These guys can recover. You get a step on them all of a sudden because of their ability to get back in range of where the ball is. They'll make you pay for that. And I think Geno Stone and Hamilton will probably split reps in place of Marcus Williams because Hamilton's been moved around a little bit and they've been growing his package little by little stone is their seventh round pick from 2019. So he's been involved in this defensive scheme Iowa for the last kid, few years. right?
3: Do you know Stone? Was he Iowa? I think, Stone was Iowa, I think he might have played the yep. Dame Belton position before he Dame Belton played the yeah. Dame Belton Stone position. Stone is
2: one of those guys that was on Kirk Ferentz's team, correct, and he's part of that lineage of those versatile safety guys that they have in that linebacker, safety pseudo type of role. Yeah. Yeah, and then up front, Lance, this is
3: not a team that's going to run nearly the volume of the crazy blitz stuff that, that Wink Martindale did when he was there. Uh, they're just not going to do that. That's not what the DNA of the new defensive coordinator is. But you will see, you will see a flash. Like uh, there's a couple plays where they they stunt uh, a DB all the way from the outside into the middle. They bring the defensive tackle around. The end crashes in from from the edge. They do some creative stuff. You're just not going to see nearly as many blitzes. And you talked about how it's been kind of interception by committee. Well, it's also been sack by committee, Lance. This is not a team that has one big sack guy that that's dominating in terms of sack numbers here. I'm bringing up the leader their is sack just sheet. two, yeah, two sacks. No one lead. has more than yeah. two, and that's Justin Houston who might not play in this game, right? It's it's one and a half otherwise for Patrick Queen, a blitzing inside linebacker, and then one for Odafe Owe. He's, for the folks that have followed us during the draft process, he was Jason Owe coming out of Penn State. He changes, or he went with his real name, Odafe, yeah, when he Jason got to the NFL. Jason was his middle name. That is correct. Um, his your first name. You have Josh Bynes, the inside linebacker, has one. You have there, and I think two guys that have been under-talked about and we could talk about it here, Lance, uh, Justin Matabikwe and Calais Campbell, those are two guys inside that both have a sack and a sack and a half each. So... This is a team that – and then JPP is there too. So this is a team that is going to get sacks from different players because they do bring some of those blitzes on third downs, but they just have a bunch of guys up front that are put maximum effort forward. They're going to be relentless in the referee, get to the quarterback. They still have that physical toughness, go-all-out Ravens defense DNA. That's still in there, even if the scheme's a little bit different. So there really isn't any one player to focus on with this pass rush. There's going to be guys coming from all over the place.
2: And the reason why it's similar to what Wink did... With respect to spreading the wealth with the sacks, we talked about this all offseason. Remember, nobody had a double-digit sack season under Wink in Baltimore. Mike McDonald, he left to go to Michigan to be their defensive coordinator last season. Prior to that, he worked under Wink. He was the linebacker's coach, and then before even Wink took over as D.C., he was the D.B.'s coach, and then he was a defensive assistant before then. So McDonald, to your point, is putting his own spin on this defense, but McDonald, he matured as an assistant coach learning from Wink. So, of course, he's going to still take what Wink is running a little bit. That's why, to me, you have a lot of sacks across the board. With Wink, you never had one dominant guy. This is also, you know, based on the personnel we're talking about up front, Justin Matabike and Calais Campbell may be one of the best interior tandems you're going to find in the NFL. Which means, right, it goes back to the Dallas game. The Dallas game exposed the Giants' interior line when it came to pass protection. Now, they've been able to weather that storm because even in games where they face some deficits, they have not completely abandoned the run, so it hasn't become a pass-happy game. I just wonder if it gets into a situation like Dallas, you're trailing late, what does that mean for the interior of the line, knowing that you got to contend with Campbell, who's a very good run stopper but also has the ability to get after the quarterback. Oh yeah, And Matabike, we read his numbers too, and he has even more sacks than Campbell at this point. They didn't necessarily put themselves in a precarious spot against Green Bay, and that's why it's so important for the Giants to stay in manageable third downs, still have the ability to run the football, because personally, John, I don't think this team is built to get into a pass shootout with another team. No, absolutely not. I don't think they are. But remember, over the first five games, we haven't seen them expose themselves that, other than, once again, the Dallas game, they trailed in the fourth, so you had to take some chances. You had to throw, and then the Cowboys could pin their ears back and control the tempo of the game. If that happens again, that's where the Giants get into dangerous territory. If they avoid that, they're certainly going to be in very good position to stay with Baltimore and dictate the tone of the game like they did in the second half against the Packers. Yeah,
3: and and this is a larger point, Lance, and I guess I can now pivot to, to the Giants' side of this. That's the one thing we have not seen them do yet. And... When we talk about how well Daniel Jones has played, he has. He's done everything this coaching staff has asked him to do. But he has not been asked yet, Lance, to kind of put this team on his back in a must-pass situation, chuck it around the park with a straight drop-back situation, right? Yeah. And try to move the ball that way. In fact, they've had opportunities at the ends of first halves to play that way and their offense has been very conservative in those situations, right? They've tried to run it to Barkley. Oh, well, well if he we gets some yards, then we'll try again. they will do a screen pass. All right, if he gets some yards, then we'll try again. But we really, I'm not sure if we've seen it once this year, except for maybe to your point at the end of the Dallas game, where they've really had to open it up and say, all right, we can't do play action. We got to go 11 personnel, three wide receiver, four wide receiver. We're going to have to trust our line to pass protect without any help. And we're just going to have to go pass, pass, pass. To your point, even though they got down two scores to Tennessee, they got down two scores to Green Bay, they never went into pass mode per se. Yep. And that's the other thing we need to figure out here. When we talk about how well Daniel has played, he has, but he hasn't been asked to do that yet. And we don't know how the line's going to handle that. We don't know how the receivers are going to handle that. We don't know how the quarterback's going to handle that. So that's the one thing I still think we haven't. Seen yet this year, and I think that will be an educational opportunity when we do.
2: Well, and that's why it's no coincidence. I'm bringing up Daniel Jones's game log, and this is to further emphasize my point. In the Cowboys game, he had 37 pass attempts. That was a season high. No surprise, the Cowboys had opportunities to get after the line. The second highest pass attempt. Let me guess, game, let
3: me guess. 24.
2: No, closer to 37, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, much closer to 37, yeah. Which I was a little bit surprised, but no, he had another game in the 30s, believe it or not. You want to take another guess? or 32? you're out. Slightly higher. Wow, all right. I, yeah. I, I tap out. What do you got? Okay, Carolina. He had 34 pass attempts. Oh, but remember, that game was nail-biter, neck and neck. Remember, I mean, that game, who knows? They don't get a sack on Baker Mayfield late. Maybe now all of a sudden the Panthers have more of an opportunity. So that game was walking that fine line of winning and losing territory. And remember, the Panthers were able to get a few sacks as a result of that. There have been eight sacks combined in the two games in which Daniel Jones has had over 30 pass attempts. Then the other three games, Packers, Bears, Tennessee, he's had 27 attempts or lower. And what happened in the Packers and the Bears game? One sack apiece for each of those teams. I don't think that's a coincidence. No, and
3: I think after that Panther game and then the Dallas game after that, seeing the amount of pressure that was coming when sure. we threw that many times, that's when we saw... And again, yeah, they, were, they were already doing some of this stuff, but I think we saw more of a pivot and more frequency of all the play action lands, right? The added chips, things like that to assist of an the offensive that, line yeah. in those situations. Yeah, that, I, th- I think we just saw that stuff more frequently.
2: Yeah, but that is, to your point, to counter the issues that came to light. Yep. And once again, if that's working... And then you're putting together drives like we saw against the Packers where you're finishing, which is most important. You're scoring touchdowns. You know, that recipe is fine. I'm not saying that can't be done and duplicated multiple times. It's just, Oh, sure. The law of average. If you look at any NFL teams with winning records and how they go about winning games, most of the time there is not one single blueprint that they can rely on to win every single game. There's going to be games where there's different style fights. There's going to be games where all of a sudden they're quarterback, like Lamar Jackson, there's been games where, hey, they can't run the ball. So maybe he's got to throw the ball 30-some-odd times. We've all seen these circumstances. We have yet to see that out of the Giants. And I'm anxious to see it just because I think it's another layer to say, okay, hey, yeah. we learned something more about this team. We learned about how they can handle that. Right now we're just operating on pounding the ball, working. Daniel Jones – playing well, making good decisions, not having to press the envelope, working. And fine, you can win plenty of games that way. But sooner or later, there's going to be that game where you're going to have to air it out to the volume of the Dallas game. Receiver's going to have to make plays quarterback's gonna have to make good decisions and maybe the rushing attack is not rolling like it is how does the team respond to that that to me is still the looming question yeah
3: and will jones continue to be so good in his decision making absolutely when a little bit more is put on his shoulders right in terms of having and i don't mean in terms of the playbook or more complicated i just mean look we're, we're down 14 points there's six minutes to go like If we don't score touchdowns here, we're toast, right?
2: Yeah. Like there's just more uh, adversity.
3: Yeah, exactly. And you have to get a touchdown or you have to get a score here. And look, I think the coaching staff knows that's not what this team is necessarily built for right now. And they've done a good job of keeping them out of those situations. And I think the patience of the play calling in those two games where they went down by 14 points each were very important in winning those games, right? You stuck with the game plan and you managed to come back and it worked. And, a big reason why it's worked, and this will be the last thing we do before we open the phones here and take your calls at 201-939-4513. Get on, the, get on the phone, give us a call, and we'll talk some Giants football with you, Lance. And I don't think I talked to you about this yet, but on Monday I sat down. It was after I did I, I did all my you know film work on the plane back from London. So on Monday afternoon I had some time, and I went back and I looked at Every Giants touchdown drive this year, right? And and this might be a fun little chart to add to your spreadsheet. Lance, for the people I know, Lance does a really good spreadsheet. He kind of breaks down every game with red zones, third downs. So what I did for every touchdown drive the Giants have had this year, Lance, I took a look to see which one of those drives did Saquon Barkley have a big play on, right? Yep. Well, on the Giants have 10 touchdowns this year. On six of those 10 touchdown drives, six of those 10, Saquon Barkley has a play of 29 yards or more. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't I don't know what those numbers are like for other running backs in the league or even other receivers, but I guarantee you there's probably not another player in the league that he has a play of 29 or more yards on 60% of his team's touchdown drives. And if you want to expand that, he has a play of 15 yards or more on 8 of those 10 touchdown drives. The other one he didn't have one on was the Shepherd's 65-yard catch in week one. Tennessee, yeah. Because they only had, I think, three plays on the drive, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, that was a blink of an eye score.
3: And then, take a guess what the other drive is.
2: In which Barkley did not have an explosive yes, play?
3: It should be a pretty easy answer when you think about
2: it. That led to a touchdown. Hmm.
3: It was the next-to-last drive against Green Bay because he wasn't on the field because he was Okay, yeah, with yeah the they shoulder. go. He had the
2: shoulder injury. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Duh. No,
3: no, but right. Those are the only two drives. So the explosive plays from Saquon have been such a big part of all of this. And I, and I wrote this on, on cover four, go back. All of us, me, you, Matt, and Dan had great points. I think on giants.com go back, Dan, it's on Dan's Twitter feed. Go link it up. I think Lance tweeted it out too, you know, boy, like what would this offense look like without Saquon making these big plays and, you know, he's the one guy that can really make nothing out of, you know, something out of nothing here. And his presence and his big plays has really the, the engine behind almost all of the touchdowns this team has scored this year. And it's really unbelievable.
2: Well, he had the two 40-yard plays in the Packers game, which was significant. He's been doing it consistently to his credit. But I think what you're maybe getting at is if it's not there and we get to a game Where they have to lean on somebody else to manufacture big plays, or they need to put together a 10 play drive for 85 yards that doesn't have a 25 yard play. Which they did against
3: Green Bay to their credit.
2: Correct. No, they did, and we said that that's tough. The big emphasis is the reason why that's tough is you're bound to have a negative play, you're bound to have a penalty, sack, a holding. Something's going something. to go wrong yeah. more often than not if you rely too much on that. That's why the explosive plays are so important. And yes, they put together multiple drives. That was my point on Cover Four. Actually, I was emphasizing how they were their best defense, the offense, because they kept the Packers off the field, but they finished. Time of possession transferred to points. Long drives transferred to points. That's the key. Last night, not to get off subject, the Bears had three red zone possessions. They walked away with no points. Okay, I don't care if you dominate time of possession. I don't care if you knock on the door. You don't do anything with it. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. The Giants did, and that was critical. But eventually, and maybe this comes, John, when... Wandell gets back on the field and Tony and Galladay and all these guys, little by little get on the field. Are they all going to be on the field simultaneously? I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. The track record certainly is not very promising based (laughs) on what we've seen in the past. But my point is if you get more of these guys at your disposal, then if Barkley doesn't have an explosive play, maybe you have somebody else that can fill in. It's possible. There's the talent there. For that to be accomplished, it's just you got to see it first before you can bank on it.
3: Yeah, and I'll just say this, and it just shows you, you know, how hamstrung, you know, the last three years I'll go back even, you know, with Barkley not being 100% Lance and a similar, probably an offensive line that was playing worse than this year's group and a similar wide receiver situation. I mean, you understand why they couldn't score any points, right? I mean, we're seeing this year how big of a part Barkley is and. You take him out of the equation, and boy, you just wonder what, what it would look like this year. And they're just fortunate that he's playing so well. And quite frankly, I don't want to. Barkley makes sure he's always says this whenever I ask him post game about stuff. I'm sure you've noticed it on our post game shows in Fan. The offensive line has actually run blocked very well this year, and he's yeah. had a lot of room to run. There hasn't been a lot of negative runs. He's gotten to the second level untouched a bunch. Remember last year, I had that crazy stat where Barkley had more yards after contact than he had yards which means he was getting hit in the backfield like every play because he had more yards after contact than he had actual yards. Well, it's the opposite this year. Almost like three-fifths of his yards are before contact, and that's because of the play of the offensive line.
2: Well, there were games, even when Barkley was sidelined, that you could point to the Giants ran the ball effectively. I mean, they had some semblance of a running game. For example, the Seattle game. Remember, Daniel Jones didn't play Colt McCoy. They ran the ball effectively. Was that
3: Gallman that game, or was that or was that last year? With yeah, had, I think that was two years ago. With Goldman, right? If I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah,
2: that was also the former Washington running back. Name is escaping me. I'm trying to remember. Morris, oh, Alfred, yeah, Morris. Alfred Morris. Morris, that's right. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was also a part of the game plan. So they had games like that. But I think the biggest difference between this year versus previous ones, where we've seen some flashes, is you have the explosive plays in the run game. Yeah, You weren't getting that consistently. You were getting 5-yard runs, 10-yard runs. You weren't getting 25-yard runs, 40-yard runs with the guys not named Saquon. So that's one big difference. And then the other big difference is red zone efficiency. And part of that, I think, is play calling. The ability to shake things up, be creative, find ways to get the ball in various different playmakers' hands because they were getting into the red zone but they could not finish, and they couldn't run the ball effectively. So those, to me, are the two biggest factors in comparison to maybe the last two or three years as to why things have shifted a little bit more in terms of higher scoring and the ability to finish games.
3: Yeah, just a couple numbers, then we're going to get to your calls. Barkley tied for the second most explosive runs. That's a 15, no, that's a 10-plus. Nick Chubb's first at 22. Barkley and Aaron Jones are tied with Miles Sanders in second place with 13. That's according to PFS metrics. Um, Yards before contact per attempt. Um, Barkley's at 1.7, which you say, well, that seems really low, John. Well, it's not as low as you think, actually. If if you go and you look at the actual numbers, 1.7 yards before contact, and this is including quarterbacks, by the way, so you have, like, Josh Allen ahead of him and Kyler Murray and stuff like that. It's tied for 18th amongst running backs, so that's kind of right in the meaty part of the league, right? That's 18 of, let's see, how many of I'm trying to see how many qualifying backs
2: you have in that group. But um, it's probably based on the minimum carries. I'm assuming
3: I have it. I have it at right? a, tw- a minimum of 25 carries. Yeah, that's, that's what, what I, I said it at that. So he's, he's he tied for 18th of 57 backs in terms of most yards before contact. Like, that's okay. Like, that means your offensive line is doing a nice job, right? If you're 18th of 50 running backs of yards before contact, that's pretty good. Yeah, a little bit over the midway point. Right, so I think we should tip our cap to the Giants offensive line with their run blocking. I think they've done a nice job. All right, let's get to it. 201-939-4513. Don't forget, Giant fans, join us on Sunday, October 16th, Giants versus Ravens, as the team celebrates Latino Heritage Month. Presented by Ford, arrive early to partake in several plaza activations, including food sampling, salsa dancing, live music, and celebrity artist DJ Camillo, performing during pregame warm-ups and select times throughout the game. Limited tickets are available. Visit Giants.com slash tickets to secure your seat today. And Lance, I'm giving you a heads up. Howard's going to peer pressure Paul DeTino. To salsa dance during his segment out at the plaza, well on that'll Sunday be some afternoon. image. So, yeah. he, so here's what you're gonna welcome Howard in, ask him your normal, you know, regular first question. Howard will not answer it, and he will just ask Paul the Tina to salsa dance. So just be prepared for that.
2: Okay, okay? I'm glad that I have the heads up. Yes, then. and
3: then I Howard could... is gonna tell the DJ to have music ready before oh, he goes. Well, on that'll the even stage. be better for the oh, rest of us. Oh, yes. it's we are ready to go. So just, be, so just
2: be prepared See for that. See whether or not Paul will give in to peer pressure. I don't know. He's, the jury's still out.
3: He is so jacked up for these games on Sundays. I, I think he's just going
2: to do it. He may. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he does, but it may take a little bit more of a push, Well, perhaps. And, and, and J- Jonathan knows this is
3: happening, too. So all three of you guys can kind of push him on that a little bit.
0: Getting ready to take on spring?
3: Let's go to the phones. 201-939-4513. Uh, Cliff in New York is up first. Cliff, what's up?
4: Hey, guys. Thanks very much for the rundown. Uh, I was kind of scared of this team, uh, but you've given me some hope uh, based on them still being finding out who they are. That that gives me some hope, although I'm still very scared of their offense. Who wouldn't be? Um uh, the odds makers actually has th- have this the same as Green Bay because uh, Green Bay was the home team. And as Howard told us from the sideline last week, it really was a factor. It sounded like they had seven out of ten of the fans in the stands, and it made a big difference. And that's why it was eight and a half, um, and they only get five and a half here because we're supposed to be getting better at being a crowd that makes a contribution and uh as long as they don't get a jump on us and take the crowd out of the game uh i think uh, we've got a lot better shot than i thought um i'm wondering about um if uh, the comparison with the dallas game cuz uh, i'm i'm not surprised that we're 4-1 um i i had uh, the uncertainty of september football in our favor and and uh and i really had a really good feeling about the the, the new regime Uh, starting off from the plateau left from the last regime, which was a higher plateau than a lot of people wanted to admit. But anyway, um, uh, the offensive line uh, against the pass rush, um, I mean, JPP is not Demarcus Lawrence, but he's not that far behind him, is he? And Calais Campbell... Is not really, uh, isn't he better than the rest of the other three uh, that Dallas had up front? Claius Campbell
3: and Matt Abikway are probably better than any of the Cowboys' defensive tackles that played in that game.
4: That's what I was afraid of. Yeah, I, I, I'm scared of the front four. Um, uh, do we have any clue as to whether or not we've improved on pass pro in the front? I know that we started chipping people. Um, are, are we any better?
3: I don't. I think the jury's out. Cliff is. I think to your point. I think they've done so much play action. No one has run more play action passes than the Giants have this year. That we haven't seen this line to to the point Lance and I were making go into these must pass situations where they don't have the benefit of play action passing on early downs to give them an advantage. So I don't. I don't think we know. To be honest with you, I think we got to wait and see.
4: Well, the um, I think Dallas was wrecking us before we were in must pass situations.
3: Sure. No, they were. Yeah, they, they were. were. Yeah, but the Giants weren't running nearly as much play action, and Dallas did a lot of stunting and stuff like that. But, yeah, no, no you're right, 100%. No argument.
4: Well, um, I think um, just listening to you just now, um, uh, before you started taking the calls, um, the, the, um, the, uh, we, we have the receivers to go deep right now. We do, even if the injured guys, none of them play. Who? Uh, we, we do well, you got have Darius Slayton. I mean, you, you have Darius That's Slayton, and, and, Darius en- Slayton
3: and, and Darius Slayton and
4: Darius Slayton. Yeah. What about Marcus? Marcus Johnson? I mean,
3: uh, what, what, what makes you think he has the speed to wasn't get the, his
4: Wasn't his contribution last week that he took uh, at least one defender down the field to open up things uh, closer?
3: Doesn't mean he's open down the field.
4: Well no, I didn't hear if he was open. That's true, but it doesn't matter
3: if he... <laughs> I but, can send but, Lance but... down the field too. It doesn't mean he's catching <laughs> anything. <laughs> yeah, but Lance would stop. Lance would stop. Oh, and no, get Lan- a no. Hook. L- Lance would run his route. Don't underestimate Lance. He would Lance run, he would
4: run down the field, but he would stop and they would get him the ball. <laughs> but, uh, wow. But, but no, uh they didn't ha- they didn't have to be open because that that wasn't the function, but uh, I don't know. I I, I think uh, um, is, is there any indication if the uh, the guy that we had over the summer that got hurt now he was back on the practice squad? Do you think he might be activated, Robert? Somebody, Robert, uh, Robert Foster? Foster are
2: you talking about?
3: I mean, he could be. Yeah, I, it's possible. I, I just look, I, Cliff. I think does you he have, to, have some legs. I he does. Ro- Foster's a speedster, and, yeah. he has, and, and he has two legs. Um, but I think <laughs> last <laughs> week check. Yes. I, yeah. um, look, here's the thing, Cliff. I just don't think. Until you get Kadarius Toney back out there and Wondell Robinson, who do have 4-4 four, four speed. You know, and, and look, Richie James has some speed, and, and to your point, Darius Slane has some speed. The Giants have attempted nine passes of 20 or more yards down the field this year. That's, right. that's, that's not by accident. all right. And trust nope. me, Brian Dable, Mike Kafka would love to throw the ball down the field more if they could. So they are playing to their talent on the roster right now? So I would not expect that to change this week where you're going to have Daniel Jones do a bunch of five- and seven-step drops and try to throw a bunch of deep over-routes and stuff like that that take time to develop. I just don't see that being a big part of the plan.
2: See, the Dolphins right, right. came back against the Ravens, Cliff, and you had yeah. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, two fast guys. But Tua also has been throwing the ball down the field, so there was volume to go by that. Just because you have Darius Slayton on the field doesn't mean Daniel Jones is going to start airing it out. And Lance, by the way, a couple of those plays in
3: that Dolphins game were just blown coverages. Where,
2: yeah, where they yeah. just ran right by him and nobody was in the vicinity, Correct. sure. But you also you have to have the willingness of the quarterback. The point is to throw the ball no, down the field that's true and too. get the green light. And I don't think we've right. seen but, that yet with the Giants.
4: Right, but the only way we're going to be able to do that is to get some reps doing it, Right.
3: No, you need to protect to the point where you're able to
4: do that and that's. Okay, they'll they'll have to think that they have enough protection to try it, but eventually they're going to have to try it Well, they'll try that, it.
2: Sure, they'll try thanks, it' based on, once again, it goes based on game flow is what we were talking about. If the Giants are in this game, and they're leading, or it's neck and neck, and they have the ability to run the ball, I'm not so sure that now Brian Dable and Kafka, and they say, let's start airing it out. But if they're down by... 10 points and it's late in the third quarter, yeah, maybe that calls for now having a different game plan and saying, okay, we got to take a shot down the field if we want to make this game interesting late. They just, they haven't been put in that situation other than, once again, the Dallas game. So, situational football is going to dictate the terms of the level of aggressiveness for the Giants going into Sunday. Yeah, look, guys,
3: are they're running patterns down there, but either they're not getting open or they don't have the time to throw those balls deep, and I think, frankly, they're just telling Daniel, look, don't take chances.
2: I think it's it more of the latter, What like, you just said, John. Yeah, yeah. Like
3: they don't don't throw an interception, right? Like yeah, if you don't need to, then don't do it. it. We're good in the red zone. We're running the ball well. Our defense has kept us in games. Don't try to force something if it's not there, because that's when bad things start to happen.
2: Well, it goes back to even though I'm talking about a different player. What did he tell Bellinger on that trickery play in the red zone? He told Bellinger, listen, I have no problem with you throwing it, but I have a lot more confidence in you running it in than throwing it. So if you don't have it, then don't try to test the waters. And Bellinger clearly took that advice, and he said, okay, if I got the alley, I'm going to run it. And same thing with Daniel when he threw the interception in the red zone against Tennessee. I think that was another learning experience where Dable said to him and emphasized you don't have anything. Throw it away. Live to see another. Or d- down. D-
3: don't even throw it away, Lance. Run it. And I think we've seen sure that run with it Daniel, yeah, right. But- Where he's been, he when he's run for some of these first downs, it's not like he's back there, you know, surveying the field for four or five seconds. It's like
2: look, look, crap. Yeah. players go. Like it's pretty quick that he's starting to run the ball a little bit. Well, against the Packers, and I brought this up on Monday's program. I thought in the second half his ability to see the defense just all of a sudden part like the Red Sea and then run up the gut, that was a quick, instantaneous reaction. So things like that are fine. Take the four yards as opposed to waiting to see if maybe a 15-yard pass develops. No big deal. Then you live to see another manageable down.
3: Let's go to Dinesh out in San Francisco. What's up, Dinesh? Hi, guys. How are you? What's going on, Dinesh? How are you?
1: I'm good. It's my first time calling. Great to hear you, uh, guys, I'm very excited, and very excited about the next game also. Uh, just wanted to talk about Alex Bachman, the wide receiver that Bachman's he not in the roster.
5: preseason.
2: Dinesh, Bachman's not on the roster. He's not on the and practice yes. one. Yes, I know. I, I just wanted to, to know if
1: uh, any news on him. He did well for us in preseason.
3: Uh, he has not been picked up by anybody. And, uh, Dinesh, I will be proud to say you're going to be the final call on this. I am going to put a moratorium, Pearson, on the Alex Bachman calls. I'm just not going to take it anymore. If someone calls up and they have a Bachman question, that's fine. You can tell them that he's not on a roster, he's not on another roster, and the team has moved on. And until we hear action from that, and if they want to bring up a different topic, Pearson, that's fine. And, Dinesh, if you want to bring up another topic, that's fine, too. But Alex Bachman's not here. Alex Bachman's not going to be Gandalf riding down on the white horse down the hill and two towers and save the day, okay? Like, no, like it's it, it's not it, it that's not going to happen here. So that's where we're at, and the other receivers are going to have to do the job. Dinesh, you got something else for me? Oh no, I didn't realize that people already had called about him. No, that's so, okay. Uh, Don't worry about it. About no, it's that. fine. No, it's all good, man. Don't worry about it. Okay. All right,
1: that's all I had. I, I wish uh, Giants all the best for the next game.
3: Well, Dinesh, thank you for calling and thank you for listening, man. We really appreciate it. Don't be a stranger. We look forward to hearing from you again. Thank you very much. And, yeah, there's no way to know, but, you know, I feel like every show we're getting an Alex Bachman call now. I'm, I'm Or on I'm, social media,
2: too. There's always a question about oh, when are they going to yes, call up I'm, Alex Bachman. I'm like, hard to call up a guy that's not on the practice squad, people. Hate to disappoint you. I just, I love the fact, one every single summer, one guy has an unbelievable preseason game and, Somebody crowns him as if he's the next coming, and then the season comes. He doesn't make the roster. Corey Coleman. One summer, where's Corey Coleman? Corey Coleman's on the roster. People hate to break you the bad ba- news. Bachman you know, has gotten into Corey Washington territory at this oh, point. 100%. Corey Washington,
3: I think, was really like the quintessential one, right? He was probably the one that was worse than anyone in that regard. I think Bachman's slowly entering into Corey Washington territory.
2: Yeah, it's the legend of Corey Washington, which now has been handed over to Alex Bachman or. Ramsey's Barden, when he got his <laughs> opportunity on Thursday night against the Carolina Panthers, Panthers yeah. and had over 100 yards, then it became oh. let's jump on the Ramsey's Barden bandwagon. So every single year, you can't they teach height, one Lynch. wide receiver. You can't teach height. No, you can't. But I do. I think there's this underground council where they spread out word. They have meetings once a month, and they're like, okay, this is the wide receiver we're choosing this year, people. Spread the word on social media. Make sure you're aware. Alex Bachman, congratulations. You get the participation trophy for the preseason, and we're going to campaign heavily for your cause. I'm convinced there is an underground council. I don't know what cave they meet in. I don't know what state. I'm still trying to unlock the mystery. Now, I will give them credit. David Sills was that guy, what, maybe two years ago? Well, Sills was last year. Remember, Sills
3: had I mean, a great preseason last game last yeah, year. Yeah, it was yeah. last year. You're right. You don't and have to he, go that and, far back. And he has now eked his way onto the roster. So the council has willed it, willed one guy onto the roster full-time. I don't think any any of the other, you know, pet wide receivers have managed to to make their way forward in that way, right? I don't think I'm missing anybody.
2: No, I don't think anybody has taken the place of Alex Bachman. I'm not confident enough to crown somebody else. So unless people start calling in and asking about some other preseason Giants wide receiver that unfortunately didn't make the team and is still out there. You want to throw in Tryndon Holiday? He hasn't been in the NFL for several no, years. Lance, you there, can throw him out. There was no, can- there was no counsel with Trendon Holiday. That was just you. No, it was. But unfortunately, <laughs> he couldn't that even make just, it through. No. The heck with the preseason. He couldn't even make it through training camp. No, he had I a know. hamstring the injury right away. Guy, we I never know. even got to see him. So that was <laughs> and that.
3: Colin Johnson, you know, it's real. It's a shame. And I haven't had the chance to bring this up on the show. Dude, that guy would be like the number one wide receiver playing 90% of the snaps oh, yeah. in the game right now
2: if he didn't get hurt. The way well, he was especially playing based in preseason, on what he did in Jacksonville before he even came to the Giants.
3: Dude, I feel so he must be sitting there like my freaking luck with yep. this Achilles tendon injury. Like are you kidding me? Like the door was just open for him and he could have stepped in and played a prominent role. It's just it sucks. Cuz he was good. He was legitimately good in the very productive preseason, yeah. and he and he had the physical tools too. So Timing anyway, is everything. Yep, timing is everything. Hey, Giant fans, the Giants' official connected TV streaming app is called Giants TV. It brings original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to big blue fans. Giants TV is free on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire TV on the Giants mobile app. And just a reminder, to folks, go check out the Giants Huddle podcast. You know, we're looking at these numbers, and we almost have twice as many listeners, maybe two-thirds as many listeners more on Big Blue Kickoff Live, which we appreciate. It's great. Keep listening. But you only have about half that number or so on the Giants Huddle podcast. And we're putting great content up every week. We have three episodes a week. We have our Rapid Reaction podcast um, after the game every Sunday. It's 20 minutes from – You know, a variety of people. Bob Papa did last week. Victor Cruz is going to do this week. Sean O'Hara. It's a bunch of different people coming on and breaking down the game. Uh, We have our Friday show every week, which is I do a player interview. Bob Papa talks to Brian Dable. Lance and Paul talk to a a reporter or, you know, player that – former player that that covers the opposing team. The one from today is up. I talk to Dexter Lawrence. Uh, For you oldies out there, the missile, Quadri Ishmael, who covers the Ravens, talks to Lance and Paul. So – Check that out, and then we try to do another interview on Wednesday or Thursday every week, too. So make sure you go subscribe to the Giants Huddle Podcast Actually,
2: you know, I was told, I didn't mean to cut you off, that Alex Bachman's high school coach from Oaks Christian could be a special guest coming up on a future Giants Huddle Podcast. So considering we have a lot of talk, you never know what may drop on that podcast. But anyway, go ahead. I
3: don't know what you're talking about.
2: I was just trying to, considering you were talking about the listeners, two-thirds, you said, increase, oh, but I about see. one-third of them are very interested in Alex Bachmann. Oh, okay, I see what so, you're saying. For- so, so, okay,
3: so so we so we, we want to get the council to yes. inform their followers to go subscribe Correct. to the John Settle. I got called-
2: you. You know, laying out programming and content that appeases to the Alex Bachman fan base. That's what we're we here should for. just do one on.
3: one huddle that's just on Alex Bachman, just to put it uh, to rest on a week
2: <laughs> ju- until Alex Bachman returns to the practice squad. That's the goal. <laughs> Trying to influence the roster. Yeah. Oh my gosh.
0: Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of Steel Battery Tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more. Right now you can save $50 on Select Battery Tool Sets. Real steel. Offer valid on Select AK System sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
3: Let's go to John in New York. He's up next on Big Blue Kickoff Live. John, what's going on? Hello, Lance. John. Yes. Hi yes. John.
5: Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm a giant fan for sixty-six years, and I've been—I uh, don't think I missed a game, except for the ones when I was in the service. Well, <laughs> God bless it. you, sir, and thank you for your service.
3: I, yeah, appreciate all right, it. Thank you.
5: Uh, I got a couple—couple couple of things that I'd just like to get through. Uh, Dex, is he playing a little bit different position with Williams out? Because he seems to be doing a lot better. With, with uh, Williams
3: out? No, they're moving him around. They were moving around when Leonard was here, too. He's, he's playing a lot of nose, but he's also going to three technique on some plays. Wink, I think, and not a lot of people have talked about this, is that a good job of moving Dexter around to try to set up some good matchups for him, John. And, you know, I, you know, I talked to him on the John's Huddle this week, and I actually asked him, I said, Dexter, you know, a lot of people think you're having a breakout year. Like, do you think this is a breakout year? And he goes... Honestly, I just think I've gotten lucky where I've gotten a couple early season sacks, but I'm kind of playing the same way I have my whole career. So we'll see if the sack frequency continues as the season goes along, John. I'll be curious to see that too.
2: Well, and remember, <laughs> on the sack that Dex had against Aaron Rodgers, it was Tony Jefferson that made a really nice play on that. So I think maybe part of it in coverage just, is what you're talking correct. about. Yep. Mm-hmm. But part of it could be to Dex's point. Yeah, he's playing the same way, but guys around him. That's exactly have what he said, Lance. The exactly. quality of the play. Exactly what he said. Other yep. guys
3: are either the the defense is covering long enough, so the quarterback has to hold it. You know, the way Wink schemes up some pressures are giving him some yep. better one on one opportunities. All that put together, he goes, sack should be team stats. He kind of basically said that, and that's why his sack numbers are up a
2: little bit. And that makes perfect sense. Yeah.
5: That sounds good. He seems to be playing better than me, but uh, the other question I have is, uh, John, you let Charlie get away with one. What are you talking about? And and I I hate to bring him him up.
3: I killed him the other day when he called up. Yeah, but
5: he's uh, he's trying that that the quarterback can't do anything without Barkley. In that game tying drive, who drove, drove the team ninety one yards, ran twenty five yards, what was he, five for five? And Barkley
3: wasn't in the game. No, you're right. No, on that one that drive, John, you're absolutely right. Hundred yeah. percent, no argument.
5: I w would, I would've killed him on that. But I I, I think he's gonna get a lot better once the offensive line can get the you know, the, the pass blocking a little bit better when maybe they replace one of the guards. And, and uh, I'm just hoping, I'm, I think that was the reason that uh, that receiver wasn't very good either. Uh, Alex Bachman? No, not Alex Bachman. <laughs> I know, I listen to the show. I know, I'm kidding, John. I'm just kidding, John. Got, I listen to all the things, but Alex Bachman, no, I know he's gone. Um, well, they, John, if you've been following the, the team for
2: 66 there. years, you've got to have some other wide receivers to throw out. That oh, we can okay. experiment okay. with. Homer yeah. Jones, or you name it. Well, no, you're called, I mean, I'm talking about the preseason wonders of the world. That's what I was referring oh, to. Oh, yeah, I, I remember
5: guess. a lot of them. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember a lot of preseason players that everybody thought were going to be amazing and never sure. made the team. But uh, I'm the, the, the receiver he received all the passes uh, last week. I'm just
2: Talking about Darius Slayton?
5: Darius Slayton, yeah. yeah. I think he was affected by the offensive line, too, because... His big thing is to get deep, and Jones couldn't wait around to throw a ball deep.
2: No, that's fair, too. Yeah. Thank but you, I think John. Also, Appreciate the call. And it also goes back to even before the Dallas game and even after the Dallas game, there just they haven't been, as I like to say, a lot of at-bats for deep throws. So I think we're reading a little too much into it in terms of putting the onus on the offensive line. I just don't think they've taken a lot of chances. And remember, Darius Slayton, John, the game before Green Bay— the Chicago game where we saw him get a little bit more involved. Granted, one of the plays he was interfered with, but it was still an opportunity for him to make the catch. Sure. And he couldn't make take advantage of that. And then on the interception that Tyrod Taylor threw, you know, you could have made the argument maybe he's a little bit more aggressive and he tries to help break that pass up, as opposed to allow Eddie Jackson to make the catch. So, you know, there were some opportunities for Darius before. I, I think Listen, when you don't play a lot and you don't get many opportunities, maybe you could say, okay, he was a little bit rusty because he hadn't been in as much, and now he gets his feet a little bit more comfortable, and you saw his production. Also, remember, that's Tyrod Taylor throwing the ball towards him. Here, Daniel Jones, who has a little bit more chemistry. I'd buy those dynamics more so than perhaps the offensive line playing a role.
3: 201-939-4513. Let's go to Mike in Virginia. He's up next. Hey, Mike.
1: Yeah, hey, yeah, y'all doing today?
3: What's up, Mike? What do you got?
1: Uh, just happy about the overall status of how we've been playing this year. man. I mean, hey, it's going to be another tough one we got. Um, hopefully we can pull this one out. Let's try to control the ball, you know, run it, uh, control the line. Uh, I'm I'm very happy, and this is what shows you how coaching is very important because in the past it was always, you know, next man up. But unfortunately the next man wasn't ready. So this year it seems the next man up mentality is really taking place. So I'm just overall happy with everything we've got going on, man. Appreciate y'all taking my call. Let's go, Giants.
3: No, thank you, Mike. I appreciate the call. Look, I think we've seen that so far, Lance, that in small sample sizes that's been correct. But I also think once those guys get exposed for a longer period of time, it becomes more difficult for that next man up to keep being next man up and playing at a high level. So I think – as we see these guys exposed to more playing time as you go along, we'll see if they can maintain that level of
2: play. Well, and here's the other thing, which I thought maybe you were going to take it to. I'm not trying to take anything away from the coaching staff, but I do think the coaching staff deserves credit. Oh, absolutely. But if you're, if you're putting it down towards the positional coaches, which to me is what the last caller was doing, Jerome Henderson is the one carryover. Okay, who's been most effective. <laughs> that's a great point. So I didn't think about you can't that. you can't say the coaches last year didn't do their job when the guy who actually stayed on has been the most effective in preparing the guys because they've been hammered by so many injuries. Now Mike Grow is new. Okay, I'll give you that. He's coaching the wide receivers and they've been hit by injuries there, so that's a difference. But Jerome Henderson, who winked John, he actually highlighted Henderson again during his presser this week. He was asked, why was the pass defense so effective? Why has it been so good? You suffered so many injuries in Baltimore. You lost Marlon Humphrey. You lost Marcus Peters, the two guys they're facing this week. lost Jimmy Smith. Yeah. Why did the numbers drop off, Wink? First thing Wink says, he says, yeah, there's a lot of things you have to account for in a game. And then all of a sudden he goes, that's on Jerome Henderson. The Jerome Henderson movement has been key. He's been getting these guys (laughs) coached up. He's been putting them in a position to feel comfortable. But once again, Jerome Henderson has been on staff. So everything doesn't necessarily add up straightforward, John, with that narrative that new positional coaches are the only thing to point to why they're getting most out of the back end of the roster. That's my whole point.
3: Yeah, and I think a wide receiver, they're still searching for answers, right? A bunch of different guys have stepped up. but I don't think anyone has really cemented themselves yet, per se. They've been kind of still rotating guys based on the week, week in, week out. And I'm trying to think, what other position group... You know, Nicholas Williams is a veteran. He's been in the league a long time. Same with Justin Ellis. So, you know, replacing Leonard Defensive Williams, they managed that. About. That was fine. Uh, I guess inside linebacker to an extent, right? With with Jalen Smith and Austin Kalichar or Micah McFadden all kind of taking turns. That would be a position I guess you could point to a little bit. Offensively... Yeah, but I guess those would be the spots, right, unless
2: I'm missing something. Well, I mean, you want to say Bobby Johnson on the offensive line? There's only been one guy, though, right? It's been left guard. correct. They've had at least consistency for the most part there. I think linebacker to me and defensive back. Yeah, I agree. I would say are probably the best examples. But the reason why, even if you don't want to say there's a lot of movement, is Bobby Johnson has some history with Brian Dable. So I think that has helped, meaning there's consistency. And then here's another example. Drew Wilkins, one of the linebackers coach. Who was he with, John? He was with Wink Martindale in yep. Baltimore. So the positional coaches know the scheme well enough to, I think, better prepare guys to get in. Henderson, to me, once again, I keep focusing on him because he's a bit of an outlier. He was with Brian Dable when they were with the Jets. He has no history with Wink. I don't believe they've ever crossed paths. I mean, maybe they had no an opportunity so to meet and greet right at a NFL meeting or whatever, but... I mean, he's been preparing these guys, and he was here last season. So I I just think, once again, I wouldn't go straight forward with saying, okay, it's all because they brought in new coaches across the board when Henderson has been here. And he's, by the way, some of the guys he's preparing to get in, they weren't even on the roster last year. Justin Lane, Nick McLeod, the guys that stepped in because of the injury to Adoree Jackson last Sunday. All right, let's go back
3: to the phones. Our final call. The program is Rick in Tampa Bay. Rick, welcome back to the show. What's (laughs) up, pal?
1: Where, where's Paul? Is he at the Yankee game?
3: Nah, uh, Paul is uh Paul is probably eating lunch right
2: now. Actually, right? I think probably stuff in his <laughs> face. I, I didn't know we were responsible to give updates on Paul's status during BBKL. That's new.
1: Well, the, yeah, I'm just curious because of the games on at same now at the same time. Ada and what, what? Real quick, I've been listening all week.
2: Now, Rick, Please, By
3: the Paul way, by the say, way, Rick, Real quickly, the big problem, by the way, is that he is in the facility because the Giants are doing stuff today. But on our in you know in circuit. TVs that work in the building now, they don't have TBS. So oh. so 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 Paul might have to work his creative magic to find the game Honestly. somehow else.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the uh <laughs> all right. The uh, the this salsa dancing thing you keep, I turned it all week long. What what is what is that background real quickly? What what is this thing with Paul with salsa dancing?
3: No, because it is as I've read in the in the read a lot of times it's Latino Heritage Month and there's going to be salsa dancing on the at the on the plazas at the game. So I figure if they're going to do it, we might as well have Paul kind of join in, right? Yeah, okay, but he's he's Italian, isn't he? Yeah, I want to embarrass him.
2: Okay. Wait, Rick. I Rick, so Italian was... people don't know how to salsa or can't salsa? Is that no, what you're insinuating? I just, thought,
1: <laughs> I, mean... I just thought that there was some reason
3: that he he's he's
2: won awards doing this. Oh and, and... no, Rick. I, I, you oh, you didn't know Paul is a ballroom dancer. He has yes. that as part of his No, so, Rick, Rick, the yeah. whole point is that, that? I,
3: I hope he's as bad as humanly possible so he makes an ass out okay. of himself. That is the whole reason right. of me trying okay. to do this. <laughs>
1: okay, okay, all right, because it's a, it's a funny And don't up. bring it up please. to
3: him, please. I know you you've ruined not... our games before. Let's not bring it up to him, please. <laughs>
1: no, no, I'm not saying a word. I'm not saying a word about that and and real quick I, and I listened all week. I did not hear Charlie once this week, but apparently you said that his guy was wondering what his complaint will be now when we're four and one is that Daniel Jones is just a product of Saquon Barkley? Is that his, what he was saying? Yeah, he basically, I mean, he
3: basically called in on, I think it was Tuesday's show with Howard, and he basically said that, you know, Daniel's being carried by Saquon. He's not being asked to do anything. Uh, and, you know, fans want to give him $45 million and sign him for 10 years. And I said, well, I haven't heard that exactly. It was, it was one of those all right. things.
1: All right, because, I mean, my gosh, if we, I mean, yeah, Daniel Jones needs productive back, and we need some great receivers and just then. Think how good he would play. That's that wasn't a good comment. So all right, uh, that's that's that. Uh, this thing with Wink Martindale. I know you said it. all. Or you talked about it the other day, John. I think uh, his background with the Ravens has to has to have an effect on this game some way because of all the years he's there, watching, practicing defense against. Uh, he's really you know we know he runs the ball. He could throw. Uh, on the run a little bit but we know he's not a great great passer uh so he's slightly limited uh that we should have something up our sleeve or even just our game plan uh should be uh on top of things going against Baltimore uh don't you agree with that i mean he he's got to have something you know on him uh to uh be able to uh, stop him uh because that is our goal i mean i would leave the you know going deep occasionally gets uh, he gets a deep ball, but his throwing, middle throwing game, if we could just not give him that, but let's see what he could do there and then just watch the run and, you know, watch his uh, playmaking ability. What do you think about that?
3: Thank you for the call, Rick. Appreciate it. we got to run.
2: Go ahead, Lance. No, I was going to say, if you go back, actually, Justin Fields had a number of good runs against the Giants. I'm not saying that Lamar is Justin Fields, vice versa, but – it's a lot easier said than done to just say, okay, as long as we watch the run. I mean, there are designed runs for Lamar Jackson. They don't just tell Lamar if everything breaks down, run. They actually design the play for him he gets more to run.
3: rushing yards on design runs than on One sure.
2: hundred. He actually had a really good run late against Cincinnati to set up the game-winning yep. field goal mm-hmm. for Justin Tucker. And Lamar had wide open wide receivers down the field in that Bengals game, and he just— Wants, I'm sure, two of those throws yep, back. Yeah, he missed or two wide-open yeah, deep balls. They could have easily won that game, probably in a much more comfortable situation. I've been hearing this all week. You know, it's, it's a bit overkill at this point. I don't really think anyone has a dramatic advantage because everybody on Baltimore's side knows Wink very well, too. Yep. Okay. So, you've got Greg Roman, their offensive coordinator, coached against Wink at practice every day. You got Mike McDonald, the new defensive coordinator who worked under Wink. Harbaugh and him go way back. A lot of the players on the roster know Wink. I think each side brings its own advantage. But if you're looking for Wink to have an unbelievable edge over Baltimore side or vice versa, I just don't see that happening in this the
3: game. The one interesting angle, Lance, that Jonathan brought up on the show yesterday with me, and I hadn't thought of it this way before, in that, you know, you have coaches' meetings on Mondays and Tuesdays and then on Fridays leading up to the game, Saturdays, and, you know, everyone talks about their side of the ball and stuff like that. And he wondered if in those meetings— you know, Greg Roman is talking about Lamar, and he's like, Yeah, you know, we really, you know, he's still struggling with this. If we can just get him to do this better. So maybe through those meetings, he understands maybe some of what Lamar's shortcomings and weaknesses are better than other people because he hears it from the mouth of Greg Roman himself, just in those type of meeting environments. I thought that was an interesting way to look at it because I had not thought about it in that respect.
2: You're talking about, I lost you, in terms of Lamar Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Hearing, how, yeah hearing how, it from Greg how, yeah, like Roman, last year, is what you're saying?
3: Yeah, like okay. last year when Wink was in coaches' meetings, right, with Jim Harbaugh and Greg Roman, and they're talking about their sides of the ball, sure. and Greg Roman might bring up some things like, oh, you know, I'm not so sure. I wish Lamar could do this a little bit better. Well, I'm worried if this team does this to Lamar, he's not going to handle it as well. That's fair. And Wink might be in those meetings hearing about that stuff. So maybe I hadn't thought about it in that respect, and maybe that might give Wink some additional insight that other people wouldn't have. Because he's heard about some of Lamar's deficiencies from the mouth of Greg Roman, Jim Harbaugh, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Et sure, et cetera. but also, I mean, listen. At the end of the day, John Wink was at practice every day going up against Lamar. I mean, yep. he's had his own viewpoint, right, and his own thoughts, and he's seen every game from the sideline to you know. Okay, I got a good idea of what Lamar does well and what he doesn't. Yeah, I think Greg Roman could certainly reinforce those things. Yeah, but I just I don't know if that's shocking news to Wink. I guess what is what I'm getting at at the end of the day. So that's why I think I see both sides having insight on one another. And I thought Wink brought up a good point real quickly when he spoke to the media this week. He said, listen, at the end of the day, the players are gonna decide all of this. Yeah. And he's 100%. got he's got different personnel than what he had in Baltimore. So even if going up against Lamar in practice, He felt, okay, when we ran this play, this guy always had a good read on Lamar. One of the things that he mentioned, he said he was talking to Drew Wilkins, who— came over with him from the Ravens, and he goes, how many times did we finish practice, one of our linebackers would go, oh, I would have got Lamar oh, on that play, I right? I say the same thing, right? yep. But, but they couldn't because the guy's got the red jersey, right? You can't touch the quarterback. So I thought it was funny where Wink said to Drew this week, he goes, well, this is going to be the week we're going to find out whether or not those hypotheticals actually yeah. come to reality. Yeah, Lance, they could so, scheme up the perfect
3: play and exactly. take Crowder's has Lamar Jackson dead to rights in the backfield, but if
2: Lamar Jackson does Lamar Jackson stuff, it's not going to matter because yeah. he's
3: Lamar freaking Jackson.
2: So, you know, it's it's a fun activity, I feel, in conversation. I just, I don't know in reality if it's going to hold much weight. Yeah, That's honest, my big point. Here.
3: Honestly, I was so tired of the conversation, I didn't even ask Deska Lawrence about it in my interview with him, because I was just so done with it. I'm like, <laughs> what is he going to say at this point that we haven't heard already this week? Exactly. So, no, I'm with you. All right, folks, thanks for being with us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. And again, if you're listening to this, make sure you go subscribe to the Giants Huddle podcast as well. You can hear us pregame on WFAN in New York on 101.9.9 FM and 660 AM and streaming on WFAN.com and WFAN's app as well on Sunday at 1130 as we get you ready for Giants and the Ravens. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelt. Big Blue Kickoff Live returns Monday at 1230 as we recap Giants and Ravens on Sunday at MetLife Stadium.